Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. My name is Stuart Foley. I'll be your host. And today we're talking about the pending changes the NEIC is proposing for the capital treatment of CLOs. We're joined by two experts today from MetLife Investment Management, Angela Best, Director of CLO Research, and Francisco Pius, Head of Structured Products Research at MetLife Investment Management. Thank you both for being on. Thank you for having us, Stuart. We're happy to have you. We start these off like we start them all. I'll start with you, Angela. What's your hometown, your first job, and a fun fact? Okay, I'm going to start with my fun fact. I have flown an airplane and used to take flight lessons. That is when I was more of a risk taker. Um, I've certainly settled down since then. My hometown is Cliffside Park, New Jersey. And then what was the third question? First job of any kind, not the fancy first one, the first one. Oh, my first job uh, was at Merrill Lynch in credit research. Oh, nice. Francisco, how about you? So my hometown is Quito, Ecuador. My first job, let's see, my first job when I was uh, a teenager, I actually helped a company that was starting a fax calling list and I was trying to get, you know, the fax numbers from a whole bunch of different companies so that we can put together a directory. Uh, So that was a a fun job. (laughs) Now, in terms of fun facts, um, let's see, I'm into grilling and barbecuing. Absolutely love that. And I make a um, picanha in a rotisserie that will put your average uh, Brazilian restaurant to shame. How about that? There you go. That is a great, what a great fun fact. That's fantastic. (laughs) So there's a lot of energy that's been spent and a lot of time talking about this topic. It's a very important topic for insurance companies. Insurance companies hold something north of $200 billion of CLOs, mostly in highly rated tranches. The NEIC is proposing moving away from ratings-based RBC framework for CLOs to a model-based one. Why are they doing this? I'll jump into that, Stuart. So I think there are a couple of things that are behind, I guess, the initiative here. The first one is the NAC for many years has stated that it wanted to, you know, distance itself a little bit from relying as much on rating agencies overall and certainly for, for RBC purposes. So this is very much in line with that. You would recall that right after the GFC, the NAIC stopped using ratings for RBC determination for both CMBS and RMBS. So this is fairly consistent with that and continuing with that theme. So that's been a longstanding theme for the NAIC. And then I think that secondly, there is a concern that the structured products have a different economic behavior than some more traditional bond types. So there is some concern that ratings may not necessarily capture those those dynamics as precisely as a modeling approach could potentially capture it. And it's it's interesting, and Angela, I'll direct this to you, as a major investor in CLO tranches, Are you doing anything differently as a result of this proposal? And what has the market's reaction been? Sure. So there really has been no change to our approach. And our investment thesis on the sector uh, really remains the same. When I think about the way we invest, we're really investing based on fundamental merits of the security. And 
when you think about what the NAIC is trying to do, they're really trying to better align RBC with fundamentals. So we don't expect the proposal to have a material adverse impact on our strategy. What are we doing? You know, we're certainly closely following the development of this proposal. You know, at this stage, we've been examining, you know, the NAIC stress test exercises on insurers' holdings of CLOs, in addition to um, looking at the way that they model CMBS and RMBS for the cash flow modeling. And what we're trying to do is just understand those frameworks to see what we can glean from those approaches and how best to kind of extrapolate what they're already doing and how this recommendation could look um, in practice for, for CLOs. You asked about, you know, market participants. You know, the market participants in the trade groups are certainly actively listening to the NEAC. They are, um, at this stage, just absorbing the limited amount of details of the proposal. And they've been fairly active and vocal, just sharing comments and research directly, you know, with the NEIC, given their comment period. And I think, you know, the market wants to ensure that decision makers are understanding the asset class, are aware of the historical performance, so that the blended capital charges are, at the end of the day, commensurate with, with risk. And we have found, historically, the NEIC and also staff to be fairly transparent. Um, they've always been open to communication, and I think their intention is really to have a dialogue with market participants to understand the concerns and any observations we have along the way so that they can take that into consideration as they are designing rules um, and also the framework, because at the end of the day, they really just want to continue to promote healthy competition, um, mitigate foreseen risks, and just make sure that the market continues to function um, as it has. Yeah, I mean, that's very helpful. And I, I guess one of the questions I have, Francisco, is just talking about CLOs being singled out. Is that the case? And I think one of the key things that the NAIC is trying to address is this concept of no, quote unquote, no arbitrage, right? Can you unpack what no arbitrage means? And is that principle only being used for the CLO asset class? Sure. So what the NAC is trying to do is it's trying to make sure that there is consistency in terms of RBC treatment for assets, regardless of what form those assets take. So but what I mean by that is if you have a set of assets that have X percent RBC treatment, if you just buy the assets outright, the NAIC is trying to make sure that that same X percent or something close to that X percent of RBC is consistent if you buy the same assets in the form of a securitization. And that is something that's not always the case. There are instances where you could have, as an insurance company, investments in assets that have a high level of RBC, but if you put them into a securitization vehicle that issues different tranches and you buy the full capital structure from that securitization vehicle, you end up having a lower capital charge than you would if you had bought the assets outright. And and that is the case with CLOs. It's not the only case, but that is the case with, with CLOs. If an insurance company buys leveraged loans, it's going to get a capital treatment, you know, that's roughly around 9% for the, for the type of rating that you typically find in leveraged loans that go into CLOs. 
But if you take those loans and you put them in a securitization vehicle called a CLO, and then you issue bonds and you buy all of the bonds out of that securitization vehicle, roughly the blended RBC for all of those tranches, if you bought them all, would be about a third of what you would you, you would have if you actually bought the loans outright. So that's what the NEIC is trying to, you know, at, at, at least moderate, reduce. I don't know if, you know, it's necessarily possible to have the exact same number, but something that would be, you know, materially similar to what you would have if you bought the assets outright. So that's the concept of no arbitrage that the NAIC is, is looking, you know, to achieve here. Now, are CLOs being singled out? I don't think that CLOs are being singled out. First of all, the idea to model CLOs is just a logical progression from the NAIC that started with CMBS and RMBS. If you think about the different structure sectors that are you know, homogenous in, in nature or you know, generally homogenous, I think that CLOs is a great candidate to you know, just take that next step in terms of using modeling for RBC determination. So certainly not singled out, you know, given the precedent in RMBS and CMBS. Now, in terms of the no arbitrage principle, this is something that a, you know, was recently introduced and it was introduced in the context of this uh, effort with CLOs. But I don't think that this is something that the NAIC is looking to achieve exclusively for CLOs, but something that is looking to, you know, more broadly achieve. Now, when I think about CMBS and RMBS, why haven't we seen sort of that same principle being discussed, given that CMBS and RMBS are, are already modeled? I think that the reason is that if you take the roughly the RBC that you would get in the assets for those securitizations, and then you take the blended RBC of the bonds that are issued by our, an RMBS or CMBS trust, you're going to see that the absolute difference is not large at all. Both of those numbers are very close to each other, so I don't think that the NAAC for, for those asset classes had felt that there was a need to do something that's, uh, that's different. So I don't think that you see the same discrepancy that you have in CLOs. I think that you know, CLOs will be the first step, but I would imagine that the NAAC wants to look at this concept a little bit more broadly. That's really helpful. I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for us. That concept generally, I mean, it makes sense to me, right? It, it stands to reason. So Angela, when we talk about the proposal and the CLO market itself, do you anticipate dislocation in the CLO market? You'd mentioned that there's a lot of transparency among the NEIC staff and so forth. How do you see this playing out? I think we'll have to see more details um, around the staff's recommendation um, just to be able to conclusively determine what that impact is on market dynamics. You know, based on our educated guess on how the NAIC may model CLOs, we don't think that the final outcome would cause some form of a wholesale pullback in purchases of mezzanine tranches. You know, I think we'd expect more of a marginal shift in the insurance buyer base um, for triple Ds, uh, double Ds, and equity, um, just as a simple result of the higher expected capital charges, since we think those tranches are going to really kind of bear the brunt of the, uh, the higher uh, capital. I think CLO MES will likely continue to offer a competitive return, and I think insurers are going to continue to support their affiliated CLO management businesses 
through equity investments as needed, um, when needed, um, as they have in the past. You know, if you look at the overall market, um, you know, the market has grown significantly. It's reached over $1 trillion globally. And, you know, we certainly think that's meaningful evidence to signal a maturing asset class, and it continues to gain broader market participation. The investor space, though, when you look at it, it's really primarily think, you know, both domestic and international, um, followed by insurance companies, asset managers, hedge funds, you've got CLO managers, um, and funds in BBC. So when you take a look at that composition, um, and we've actually had experiences in the past where, you know, you've had a large market participant, um, such as, you know, in Japan or this past year, the U.S. banks, um, to bolster their balance sheets, who they've pulled back with their investments. And, you know, the market has continued to function. So when you actually start to drill down and look down at you know, ownership by rating, um, you know, let's say particularly, you know, double Bs and equities, you know, the buyer base starts to thin and becomes more heavily concentrated towards asset managers, you know, including that of sale managers and, and funds. You know, naturally those buyers are a little bit more active. They also have higher yield targets. So I think those categories will continue to maintain a large market share and I, I think the market will continue to recalibrate and um, function. So I think dislocation would be a harsh turn, but I think, you know, we still need to see more details to see the magnitude, um, but I think it will be somewhat marginal uh, with regard to insurers, depending on their, their profiles and, uh, and their investment targets. I mean, one of the things that's been discussed elsewhere, not on this podcast, but, you know, the growth of the asset class has has largely been because it has been a very good asset class, right? I mean, it's been a favorite among insurers. It's performed very well. And it seems as though that there's a lot of talk around this, but it's good that there is this dialogue, right? There seems to be plenty of time for the market to anticipate that. So Francisco, when we talk about investors trying to anticipate the potential impact of the NEIC on their portfolios, what should they be looking for? I mean, obviously, Staying on top of these regulatory shifts is important. What would you tell a CLO investor to be looking out for today? I think, as Angela mentioned, there's still a number of details that need to come out from the NEIC. So, you know, need to reserve judgment until all of those come out. But, you know, in general, I think that investors need to understand what the NEIC is trying to accomplish here. And what the NEIC is trying to do is it's trying to say, okay, show me what happens to a CLO tranche over a number of different economic scenarios. So an investor can come up with a set of different economic scenarios that can go from, you know, a very optimistic scenario to a very pessimistic scenario. And then, you know, just model that CLO using some of the standard market tools available and see what happens to that tranche. The NEAC has been incredibly transparent with its methodology around modeling RMBS and CMBS. We'll have to see whether or not the modeling of CLOs mimics exactly RMBS and CMBS modeling, but, you know, I think it's likely that it will follow some of the same themes. So one can actually look at that methodology, see how they come up with the uh, projections for losses, how that then gets translated into an RBC mapping and try to apply that to, you know, a CLO. So an investor that does that can run all of those different scenarios and then, you know, try to map that CLO to, uh, to an RBC and see how does that compare to what I have today, 
right? If I did it that way, is it is it worse? Is it better than you know using ratings? We have done that exercise internally and try to you know just guesstimate at this point. That's uh, the best that we can do and try to guesstimate what happens if you know the NAC finalizes this you know this proposal. And what we found was that and Angela was alluding to this in general senior tranches, meaning AAA down to single A, don't really see much of an impact from going from a ratings-based to a model-based approach for RBC. Really, you start to see the impact on the mezzanine part of the capital structure, so triple B and lower, and it's progressive, right? If we look at, you know, the triple B impact, we don't think that it's going to be dramatic. We think that there is likely to be an, an impact there. I don't think it's going to be dramatic. I think that, you know, triple B tranches will continue to be attractive from, you know, from an ROE standpoint, even with, uh, you know, the, uh, the mountain approach getting implemented. But then it gets, you know, increasingly more punitive as you go down the capital structure. And really, the equity tranche is the tranche that is most likely to uh, to be affected. So that is what we did. internally. We actually put out a paper over the summer discussing in detail how an investor can can do that but this is you know what i think that the you know the clo investors particularly insurance companies can and should be uh, be looking at particularly as uh, as we see the naic come out with more details i think that that's going to allow market participants to really dial in their expectations a little bit more yeah and i mean i should have mentioned this earlier but metlife investment management has just published a paper on our site as well on this topic it's very detailed it's very good if you have interest in this topic, I would strongly recommend that people have a look at that paper as well as listen to this podcast. But Angela, so MetLife Investment Management is a major player. You've invested in CLOs for many years. You're an expert in the space, without a doubt. So we need more details, but do you see your CLO strategy changing or how do you think these proposed changes may impact your strategy on CLOs going forward? I think the potential impacts to individual insurance companies at this stage are still unclear. I think we need more details. But when we think about the way we manage portfolios, I don't expect a material impact to the way we manage portfolios or to our investment strategy. You know, insurance companies have multiple and just varied objectives within their investment decisions. So what we think about is um, asset liability matching. Where are we getting income generation? Um, how do we continue to diversify our portfolio? And I think you know capital efficiency is a consideration, but not the sole driver. So because of these, I think you know varied objectives. There's really no one hard and fast rule regarding which investments are going to meet insurance companies' needs um, and which ones don't. I think our strategy overall really has remained consistent. We've generally focused on a diversified portfolio of high-quality assets. We have been a little bit more opportunistic and uh, looking at mezzanine contracts, triple Bs and double Bs, when their value is there and when the credit profile of the collateral is is pretty compelling. So I think overall, uh, we'll continue to track and monitor the progression of the proposal. I don't believe there's going to be a big change in the way we operate. And I think insurance companies are going to have to continue to evaluate, you know, the overall investment merits. And, you know, capital charges are going to be one component of that. You know, the way we look at it from an investor perspective, not only us, but there's been a lot of longtime investors in this space with investments across the capital stack. 
So um, if you think about CLOs and we kind of talked about the performance, you know, the structural protections and just the overall value, I think it would be hard to have some form of a wholesale pullback. I think, you know, there's going to be uh, marginal changes, but I don't think anything is going to be material at this stage. But we'll certainly look for more details to come out from the NEIC and that proposal um, and, and see where that takes us. Thank you. And just kind of as we wrap here, I want to take you back to kind of where we started the podcast, which is, Francisco, you mentioned you started life in Ecuador. And I was a professor for a number of years. And there's there's often folks who are earlier in their career listening to the podcast. So I started with Angela on my icebreaker. So I'll come to you with this one. So as you look out at, at a complicated landscape right now across the capital markets and look at the insurance industry in general, I'll take you back to when you were early in your career. What advice would you give your 21-year-old self today? That's a great question, Stuart. Let me see here. I think that you know the advice would be, look, you need to be certainly really good technically speaking on whatever it is that, that you do. So certainly, you know, take that uh, to the highest level that, that you can. But don't forget, um, you know, sort of the, the softer side of, uh, of, of things and of business. And, you know, we're in the business of people. So, you know, from that perspective, certainly invest, uh, you know, your time in developing those softer skills, be it, you know, communication, be it, be it relationship skills, you know, leadership skills, all of those are, are really important. And as, uh, you know, you progress in, in your career, they're going to be increasingly so. And Angela, so you started in New Jersey. What would you tell your 21-year-old self? I would say that networks matter. And it's very important to continue to develop your network, not only internally, but really externally. Um, and not only within your respective asset class, but across many asset classes, across different sectors. And I think, you know, you really need to foster those relationships and some of those soft skills because, you know, there's only so much you can get um, reading a textbook um, or, for the most part, you know, even looking at a deal analysis. I think it's really the way to kind of move and express yourself in your position more broadly. And I think developing network is pretty key. And then I'd also say, you know, credentials matter. You know, um, you know where you go to school, the, um, you know, having an MBA, having a CSA, if you're within the, the finance industry. So I would say, you know, never lose sight of that. Because I think you need the credentials, you need the network, and then it all comes together. Great advice, great education on the NEIC's proposed Changes to Treatments in CLO Capital Charges with Angela Best, Director of CLO Research, and Francisco Pice, the Head of Structured Products Research at MetLife Investment Management. Thank you very much for being on. We learned a lot today. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Stuart. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for podcasts, please shoot me a note at podcast at insuranceaum.com. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast. Thank you.